Well, what is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it to church, downtown, west side, all over the place. We're just so blessed that we get to do church together. And, and today, you're going to be so glad you're here. If we haven't met, I'm Pastor Peter Haas. And of course, uh, many of you guys know that my wife and I help lead this, this church planning organization called The Ark. And really, what it is, is it's kind of like Shark Tank for church planners, okay? So we say, you fail, you fail, we love you. No, we don't do that. But we, we do, we do, we, really what we do is we just find really dynamic couples and we help them figure out how to launch. In fact, uh, even just the past few weeks, your money has helped launch 17 churches around the world. Come on, somebody. And, and these, aren't, these aren't small groups, okay? These are like, they, they, on average, they launch with about 300, okay? So, and we, we give them startup capital. And so people, when they wonder where their money is going, I, it's going to launch churches. And, uh, of course, I, I, 10 years ago, uh, when the momentum of all of this started picking up, we started going to more random places, South Africa, uh, China. We started going to a... A small little Ireland that you guys may have heard of called Ireland. And uh, so 10 years ago, I, I, uh, I flew to Ireland to help launch ARC Ireland. And, of course, you know, it's the land of C.S. Lewis. It's the land of U2 and Guinness beer. You know what I'm saying? In no particular order. But not Lucky Charms. Do not bring that up to any Irish person, okay? And I say that with experience, okay? So... Um, to be honest, though, like when I when I went to Ireland, uh, <laughs> that that was like probably one of the roughest years uh, for our, our church. It was a very uh, stormy time, right? Our staff was changing a lot. We couldn't find a building. We couldn't, you know, I, I didn't understand anything about real estate. And of course, the one thing about the Irish is they're some of the most encouraging people in the world. They know how to encourage each other. And so I thought, let me just get around some Irish pastors, and they, they have something called the crack over there, which is not the drug. It is, it means fun, okay, in case you didn't know. So I didn't, sorry, you guys are like, wow, you did crack in Ireland? No. No, I experienced, never mind. But I, I just, I, it, they, they, they're great at encouraging. And uh, when I was there, I met two different pastors. One pastor was, there's this one pastor by the name of Priscilla who uh, all the other pastors looked up to. And I, I remember in the middle of that depressing season, she just came up to me and she said, the Lord spoke to me that you are a hurdler and you are going to hurdle all sorts of things that are going to inspire pastors all over the world. And of course, at the time, this is before we got Historic Wesley. This is before we got Northtown. This is before, really, we had anything. And, and I remember hanging on to that word. And, of course, another pastor I met was this guy by the name of Jamie Corcoran, who he was, he was like the young street-fighting, you know, Irish pastor. And when he, you know, I was telling him about all my facility problems, and he was kind of like, hey, if I need to come to America and we need to, like, rough up some people, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, Jamie, I appreciate that. Uh, I probably won't need that. And then, of course, a year later, I'm like, Jamie, I need you. Help me rough up somebody. Uh, and so, in fact, Jamie's in the audience today. Jamie, come on up here, man. Come on up here. Because I've grown to love this guy. I mean, he literally has been with us through all of our ups and downs 
over the last decade, and uh, I've gotten to see some year ups and downs too, and it's fun, you know? It's fun just doing life with other people. In fact, we were in Germany last week. We got stuck in a parking garage, and it was amazing. Someday you'll have to ask Jamie about that story, but we, uh, you know, for real, Jamie, I, I, you know, when you're down and out, sometimes you just need pastors who can prophesy over you or who can throw a punch, and I can trust that the Lord will use you for one of those. And, uh, you know, come on, everybody needs friends, right? That's why we do life the way we do it here at, at Substance. And so wherever you're at, downtown, Northtown, Westside, Monterey, would you stand to your feet and give Jamie Corker and I warm Substance. Welcome. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you. It is so good to be back uh, in your city, and again, great to be with all the other locations as well. Uh, this is maybe your first time seeing me, but it's not my first time here. It was shortly after that trip with Pastor Peter and Carolyn when they came to Ireland that I realized there was something really unique on them as a couple, something really unique on this church, and I just wanted to get around it, and through the generosity and the love and support of your leaders, Pastor Nate, and even wider staff, um, God has been doing so much. Uh, through our church in our little city of Dublin, Ireland, through the Ark in Ireland, and in fact in Ark Europe. Today, we launched two brand new life-giving churches in Europe. Come on. One in France and one in Romania. And you know, as I was praying, thinking about this amazing honor and privilege that it is to be here with you, I just want to, I wanted to thank your leaders. But I was thinking like, oftentimes you speak to leaders like them, like a spiritual mother and father. I was like, that language doesn't sit right with me because you're just too cool to be my parents. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's like you're like an older brother and sister that just showed us the way and believed in us and supported us. And to Pastor Peter and Carol and Nate, all the team, we love you guys so much. We appreciate you. Come on, let's give up for your pastors. How amazing are they? And if you don't want them, we'll take them. There's at least 10 people in Ireland that would love a pastor uh, from Minneapolis. Things are a little bit different in scale over there. But you know, I just feel part of the family. I've been coming here for a long time. I was in this building before it was the church. I remember Pastor Peter going through it on a skateboard. That was interesting. Uh, I was in Historic Wesley before it was your church. And I just watched God's faithfulness all over this house. And I was just reminiscing on what is my memory, but your miracle. And, uh, and just thinking about how amazing is God, the faithfulness of God is so, so kind, as we already heard said. So I feel like I'm so much in the family, y'all, that I'm just going to buy, drink the Kool-Aid, and buy into the system. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to join the team. <laughs> what is up, substance? <laughs> yeah. You know your family, we can laugh at each other and they don't get offended. But let me introduce you to my family. I think we have a little photograph of my family. I don't know if you have the famous TV show Peaky Blinders over here. Um, we don't all dress like this all the time. We're not all in a gang all the time. Uh, this was a Christmas photo, y'all, from last year. And there on my, uh, my left in the photo is my beautiful wife, Ludmila. And she's actually from Brazil. I wanted to marry exotic. And uh, I was fed up with potatoes, wanted some rice and beans in my life. So uh, she, actually, she actually came to Ireland as a missionary. And she's the reason why I'm a Jesus follower. Uh, she led me to Christ, and I felt like well, the least I could do was give her the rest of my life in holy matrimony, so she's so blessed. Uh, and together, 
together in no particular order and with no plan, obviously, we produce four kids. Joshua is almost 17, Davi is 11, Isaiah is 10, and Jonathan is our... Not. And so on behalf of my family, our church family, Lighthouse Church, we're just, we're just so blessed and so grateful for you guys, and thank you. As we say in the Irish language, Gorev Mila Mahagat. I just said thank you in my native tongue, so thank you very much. Well, today as I was praying and thinking about being here and trying to figure out what, to, what would God have me share with you, I believe the Lord really put in my heart a message that I've called Word Count. Word Count. Back when I was in college, studying theology, writing papers, one of the things you had to wrestle with was trying to get all your thoughts on paper with a, with a specific amount of words that were allotted to you depending on what level you were writing at. And so you to be really intentional about words that you use. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a story of a friend of mine. Uh, his, him and his wife had just had a baby and his wife was out shopping. It was her first time really to get out away from the baby, away from home and was shopping and she was trying on some jeans and so she texted a photo of herself in the jeans to her husband and asked the question, do I look fat in this? Now, to all you future husbands out there, let me give you a very wise word of advice. When your wife asks you what you're really thinking, never tell them the truth. Because you'll become a martyr. You gotta tell them what you know they want to hear. So my friend being married a number of years, he knew the right answer, so he texted in capitals, N. Oh, 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 exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation And he hit send. And he was sitting there and he was feeling really happy with himself, very proud of it, like, like he had done something for men everywhere. <laughs> and all of a sudden he glanced down and he realized that his phone had auto-corrected the N and swapped it for an M. So instead of saying, no, his wife got a message saying, moo. And we have not seen Paddy O'Leary ever since, God rest his soul. He didn't make it, everybody. I don't know if this has application here in America, but when I was growing up and, you know, as kids, you'd get into these little uh, skirmishes, verbal skirmishes. We, we used to have a saying, a little, little chant, you know, sticks and stones. May break. You guys have that here? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names or words can never hurt me. And I was thinking about how many years ago, I remember being in a, in a literally a street fight, Peter, no joke. Uh, we're all throwing rocks at each other. And this like 15 year old dude threw a rock straight in my head, knocked me out cold. And I remember lying on the couch and being a, kind of coming in and out of conscious with concussion. And, and I had to remember that because un, until my brother reminded me of the story, I couldn't really recall it. It's so funny how the chant we sung was, well, you know, words can't hurt me. You may, you know, sticks and stones break bones. But the reality is very often we forget the scars and the lumps and the bumps and the bruises. But it's not so easy to forget the words that were spoken to us and over us. Words, just in general, are incredibly powerful things. You know, I was doing some research on this and I found out that the average man speaks between 2,000 and 3,000 words a day. Like that's the allotment that God gave to most men. 2,000 to 3,000 words a day. Now, most of our marriage conflicts happen when, let's say, the man comes home from wherever, work, gym, out and about, and the wife says, how was your day? I don't know how you answer here in America, but in Ireland, you, most guys just go, grand. It was grand. 
And how did your meeting go? It was grand. And how did that thing go? It was grand. And how was so-and-so? Oh, he's grand too. It's like we've used 2,997 or words. We only have three left to summarize our whole day. Which is why, come on, you'd have a little bit more mercy on us, but as well, we as fellows need to save some words for our wives. Come on, somebody. At least 20 words for our wives. Now, this is not a marriage sermon, but I think there's some, some application here because when I was doing my research, what I realized is that women don't have the same allocation of words. I'm already laughing. Because where men have 2,000 to 3,000 words per day, the average woman has between 10,000 and 20,000 <laughs> words a day, up to five times more words than guys. It's like, how are we ever supposed to stand a chance? And what's really interesting when you look at the psychology is that both men and women actually have the same amount of what psychologists call words of actual value. So in our 3,000 if you're a dude, 20,000 if you're a woman, we only have 500 to 700 words of actual value. The difference is women have a lot more filler. Like, <laughs> they go the long route. Like, when they tell a story, it isn't just what happens, it's what everybody, all the characters, who said what, what they're feeling, what they're thinking, the color, oh my gosh, I forgot the milk. And, and we're supposed to listen intentively and actively and with great, you know, love and adoration. And let me tell you something, if you want to get to 19 years, like I do or surpass it, you better get good at actively listening. Now again, you're probably thinking, man, that's crazy. Don't, I'm just the messenger. This actually came from an article called, called Men Are Pigs. But fortunately, women like bacon. So there you go. You can fact check that. <laughs> but the truth is, come on, let's be real for a second. We all have moments. We all have memories. We all have stories in this place, whether you're, you know, if Jesus follower or just here today and you're curious and searching, we all have stories where our world was blown up by words. Whether it was a marriage that sadly crumbled because at first it was just a, there was kindness in talking left, which became argumentative and combative. Maybe it's just you were raised in a home where affirmation and love and encouragement just weren't in the language culture of that house. Maybe you're struggling as a parent to do that with your kids right now. Maybe it's a workplace thing where you just feel like you're caught in this toxic workplace because the way staff speak to each other or the way management speaks to you is just so mean. Maybe it's you look in the mirror and realizing, man, Sometimes I don't like what comes out of my mouth, especially when we're in downtown traffic, everybody. You know what I'm talking about? Or maybe it's friends. See, the truth is, words, words, are, words are tools. They're arbitrary. They're tools. They're not good. They're not bad. But they can be used and deployed for the better, greater good, for the better. Or they can be weaponized and sent in to do battle to hurt people. Words either work with us and for us or they work in spite of us and against us. And the thing that we all share in common, again, maybe it's your first time in church or have been to an environment like this, the thing that we all have in common today is that a significant part of our lives, all of our lives, has been shaped by the words that were spoken to us, spoken over us, and spoken about us. And not only that, because here's the challenge, we are also in the act right now of shaping our own lives and the lives of those around us by the words that we speak to others, over others, and about others. Words are powerful. And one of the reasons why they're powerful is because words 
Words have a meaning attached to them. Words make us feel. And feeling is how our brain, like when our brain wants to store a memory, it isn't just like capture random information and like log it in cabinet 12500. Our brain is so sophisticated that our brain attaches facts, or at least as we see or understand it, to a feeling. That's how we recall memories. Well, think about all the bad feelings we get to have in life and how many negative memories it has and ask the question, you know, how, how, I mean, in terms of how we were raised as kids or in our marriage, how many positive memories are we creating? In essence, our language today is in part our legacy for tomorrow. Now, here's what I've come to say. I believe that there is power in the name of Jesus. And I believe there is redemption in his blood. And I believe there's help in the person of the Holy Spirit. And today, if you're really what God wants to do is to break the bond of the old and today start a new legacy of language. Words shape our world. Words shape your world. So what I want to do is I want to turn to God's word and ask the question, as for the title, how do we do this better? What does God offer us? What has God, God given us in his word through his presence that helps us to make our words count? And if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 6. We're going to read verse 40, 43 to 45. There's a few verses, a very, very powerful moment in scripture. And Jesus is, well, in context, when you when you read the kind of, you know, the background about what's happening here, most of you have heard of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, that amazing sequence of talks that Jesus gave while on a hillside. Well, Luke chapter 6 is actually the Sermon on the Plain. And you're thinking, well, how do you know it's on the plain? Well, because in verse 17, it says Jesus found a large flat place and began to teach. And as he was teaching, he comes across this whole theme of words, but he does something really interesting. He connects the words of our lips to the reality of our hearts. Verse 43 he says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man or person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart, and the evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. Which, just time out for a second. If, if that was the message, if that was it, like if you're a good person, generally you say good things, and if you're a bad person, generally you say bad things, we'd all kind of be okay with that. Because like, yeah, I get that. I mean, if someone's just mean, they're mean. In fact, think about it. When someone treats someone rudely in a verbal sense, and we're around our kids, around friends, what we often say is, we don't say, they're, oh, those words were so mean. We say, they are mean. Because our mind is programmed into a works-based mentality that we judge people on their actions and not really their intentions. We judge ourselves by our intentions and let ourselves have the hook all the time. I didn't mean it. We judge everybody else in the reverse order. It's the next sentence, the last sentence, I think packs the punch for us today because Jesus, in his genius, says, for out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks, meaning we can't just categorize people as mean, rude, good, evil, and just like be done with it. We all have the capacity within us to be good, mean, rude, or evil. And the way that we know where our heart stands or lies, and this is really challenging, is by what's coming out of our mouths. Now we can discount and say, well, I didn't mean, I'm not a mean person, I'm not, and so on and so forth, but Jesus speaks to the issue of our hearts. That word overflow in the Greek language is the word parasuma. And it literally means that which fills 
that which resides in, that which is in abundance eventually overflows. The things that we delight in eventually we become. It's kind of like how hydration works. Like when you're dehydrated, you need water. The more you drink water, the more your body processes that water and all the different ways your body processes water. If you're, not, if you're not hydrated enough, you will end up being ill. If you're well hydrated, your body can work in an optimal way. In the same way, the things that we, we allow to fill us eventually overflow from us. What Jesus is teaching us is that our speech and our actions reveal the true underlying beliefs, attitudes, motives, and values of our hearts. We've heard about, you know, uh, different countries having a culture. I come from a culture. I mean, you're in a culture here. Our homes have a culture. Uh, our churches have a culture. Our organizations have a culture. I believe what Jesus is saying here is that your heart has a culture. And if, if, if the, if the, if the uh, profession of dealing with, with land is horticulture, then I want to talk to you about horticulture. But Jesus is bringing a message about horticulture. Your heart has a culture. I was uh, reminded of the power of culture recently. I was speaking at a conference uh, in Hawaii, everybody, because, you know, if you're from the island of Ireland, Ireland, every now and again, God needs to send you to the island of Hawaii so you don't, like, become perpetually uh, depressed for life. <laughs> and while I was there, one of the things that uh, I got to do was to go visit this place called the Polynesian Cultural Center. Have you ever been to the Polynesian Cultural Center? It's like Disneyland, except rather than going to, like, Epcot and all the different parks, it's like you go to the island of Samoa and the island of Tonga and the island of Fiji and the island of Eritrea, like these, these full-scale villages with like fully paid actors, like, you know, acting out what life is like in those parts of the world. And in every village that you go to, the experience would finish with them doing their iconic, iconic war dances, like the haka, right? And, uh, and so I'm just moving through, watching all this, interested, and, you know, I love history, so I'm fascinated by all this. And... Uh, <clears throat> I'm sitting there watching the New Zealand people, the Aeroterrans, do their haka, and they like have paint, and their eyes get really big, and they stick their tongue out, and it's, it's really combative. And the way it worked was, when one island would invade the other, the guys would jump off the boat to do their dance, the other guys would reciprocate the, you know, the dance with their dance, and then, the, then they'd have to make a decision. Based on our dance-off, are we going to fight or not? Right? Which is, I think it's a pretty cool system. And... Uh, I'm sitting there thinking, man, we're known, the Irish, for being the fighting Irish, right? That's part of our, the stereotype of our culture. But when it comes to our dancing, <laughs> I'm like, can you imagine if Ireland was like in, the, in the Pacific Ocean and these like Samoans or Tongans ended up on a beach in Dublin and they jump off the boat and they're like, oh, yeah, guy, up on that and we're like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, let me show you river dance. Hup, hup, hup. We don't even use our arms. Yeah, get some of that right there. Woo, 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 woo. I never felt so powerless in my whole life. It was like, God, you have a sense of humor. You give us all the attributes of a great fighting nation. Would you make our dance river dance? So thank God God put us in Europe because the English and the Germans can't dance, so we're okay. <laughs> culture is a powerful thing, yeah? Your heart has a culture. In essence, what Jesus is saying is what's working in your heart will be heard in your words. What's the culture of your heart will be made evident. The fruit of what's happening in the unseen will be seen in how you speak. 
If we want to be life-giving people, come on, we want to be a life-giving church, bring life to our communities, life to our nations, life to the world. Life-giving isn't the banner or slogan or how we do service or what kind of small group we're in. Life-giving begins in the heart and mind of every single person. And Jesus gives us the gift of churches and small groups and ministries, but Jesus died so that every person in the world can know the power of a transformed heart. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, that we should get rid of these things. And when I did a word study into that, that expression in Greek, literally to get rid of, the image he uses is that a thing that we do in our homes. And again, if you're going to get married, you're doing your pre-marriage counseling, one of the first questions you're going to ask your future spouse is, whose job is it to take the trash out to the curbside? Because it's a, it's a very contentious conversation. I don't know why it t- tends to be worldwide. Is it the same here? Like, is it usually the guy's job to take the trash out to the... What's, where's the equality in that, everybody? <laughs> My goodness. Like, every country I go to, it's like, yeah, dudes carry out trash. <laughs> we say rubbish, by the way. <laughs> rubbish. But it's like, the image is like, when our heart is not well, trash talk comes out of our mouth. And a part of what Jesus came to do was he came to take the trash out. And, and what's also really powerful in the, in, in, the, in the Greek is that it's this idea that we didn't have the power to take the trash out ourselves. Like recently I asked my son, one of my sons, a 10-year-old, to go, we said the bin, take the bin out to the, it's the same problem worldwide, by the way, use different words, but, you know, my wife wasn't going to do it, so I had to ask my son, hey, can you go take the bin out to the, to the curbside for, for, the, for collection? And it was so full and so heavy he just couldn't even move it. He just couldn't. He could, and in our house, like our driveway is like, a down, is like a downhill. He just couldn't get that thing going. It was so heavy. It was beyond his ability to deal with. And so what did he do? Well, he does what children always do. He calls for help. Dad, can you help me? And of course I came. And for me, it was easy. Just grab that thing, brought it to the curbside. The next day it was gone. What, what Paul is saying to us is that Jesus on the cross did something for us that we could never do for ourselves. And the things that plague us and the things that hurt us, the things that harm those that we love, Jesus came to take the trash out so we could have a different legacy. We should get, words of, get rid of words that demean, degrade, and disrespect. Words that demean, these are words that say that you don't matter. You're not valuable. Because you're, you, look, you look different to me, you sound different to me, you drive different to me, you support different to me. By the way, all this applies to everyone except Chiefs fans, okay? I want you to know that I'm not a Vikings fan, <coughs> But I am a Raiders fan, and we have a particular disliking to the Kansas City Chiefs. So if you would do us the favor, y'all, of dispatching them today, we have Green Bay at home tomorrow, and we shall return the favor for you. So let's just <laughs> work on a little deal right there. I'll phone Josh Daniels. So for one day only, I'm a Vikings fan. So let's go Vikings. But unfortunately, it applies to Chiefs fans too. We shouldn't use words to mean, degrade, or disrespect. Words that come from our heart reveal how we feel about other people. So what should we do? Well, we can't, we can't in our own strength fix ourselves. If we did, then we wouldn't need Jesus, the cross, the Holy Spirit, our salvation. We need help from heaven. And I want to encourage you today that if you're in this place and you haven't experienced the presence of God, today you are here because God loves you. And God has called you. And God has a plan and purpose for your life. And maybe you're here and you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you're just not tight. You've allowed things to fill your heart and you know it's not good because it's overflowing into your marriage, into your workplace, with your friends, with your kids. Today, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to bring a fresh infilling. We can't determine the outcome. We can't, 
We can't control it, but we can be obedient to the invitation to the kindness of God. Let me tell you a quick story. Um, like I said, I, I, became a, I was not raised in church. I was the first Christian in my whole entire family. And I mean, literally, we'd never... In Ireland, there's three categories, okay? You're Catholic, which is basically a synonym for being Irish. Or you're Protestant, which means you're English, and they're the bad guys. You don't like those guys. Or you're a cult, which basically means you're American, okay? And you're probably on God TV, have funny hair, and want money. So those are the three categories that we have in Ireland. Um, there's no other category. And so growing up, you know, people say, oh, are you Catholic? It's like, well, I'm Irish. Of course I'm Catholic. Like, it's part of the deal. Like, you know, like we would say in Ireland that when the Pope has a crisis of faith, he comes to Ireland, you know what I'm saying, to get his faith renewed. And... Uh, and so when someone started telling me, it was actually, by the way, thank you, America, because if it wasn't for the golden arches of McDonald's, I wouldn't be here right now. Because, true story, it was all working at McDonald's that me and my wife met. I thought she was hot. She thought I was unsaved. And uh, <laughs> I was not in it for the right motives whatsoever, but somehow God works in, in mysterious ways. And uh, she just started talking to me about Jesus. And I was like, I've never heard someone talk about Jesus as if they knew the guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus. But like, no, Jesus. I was like, wow. And um, I got to one point where we were walking home one day, and she was just, you know, telling me how God loved me and a plan. And I, and I knew, I knew me. So I knew there was no way God could love me. There's no way God could accept me. If you knew the things I had done, things I had said, if you knew the, the deceit and, and just the, the brokenness and the, and the malevolence in my heart, you would think there's no way God could ever love someone like you. But she just kept preaching, preaching, preaching. And one day I just finally snapped and I was like, listen, I'm going to end up like knocking you out, girl, if you don't stop talking about Jesus. It's, not, it's true. I'm not proud of it, but it's true. And she said, she got my face. She's like, you can knock me out, but I'm not going to stop talking about Jesus. And I was like, who is this? Why did I marry this girl? <laughs> so fast forward the clock a few weeks, I was in a little city called Heidelberg, Germany. I was on a rugby tour, and uh, we, were, we were playing there. And one night, I, I opened the Bible she'd given me. I didn't read a single word, just opened it. And I prayed a half-hearted prayer to a God I didn't even believe existed, expecting nothing to happen. And the power and presence of God filled that room. And I'll be very honest, I wasn't like, hallelujah. I was like using other words because I was like, this is not supposed to happen. Like, you're not supposed to pray and actually stuff happens. And in that moment, I realized, man, God is real. And God somehow, I could sense his love and, and sense his kindness as we heard drawing me to him. So I flew home and, and uh, home and I got to my friend's house at the time and I banged down her doors like 3 a.m. in the morning and her parents are like, what is with this feral child? You know, what's with this kid? Like, he doesn't go away. And, I, and, I just, and they're like, what happened to someone die? And I was like, I need Jesus. And she was like, okay, well, let's pray. Get on your knees. Which, by the way, theologically speaking, you don't need to get on your knees to become a Jesus follower. But I got on my knees 20 years ago, and I've been on my knees ever since in terms of my relationship with God and my relationship with her, let me tell you. And God completely changed my life. Radical. It was so radical that I was 16 when it happened. And I was raised in a pretty colorful home. I'll explain a little bit about my, my home in a second. But my parents actually kicked me out because I became a Jesus follower. Like I could be doing all the bad stuff, totally cool. Cops knocking our front door, totally cool. But the minute I start following Jesus, you kick me out. And you think that that would discourage me, but actually it encouraged me. It's like there's something, if this is that bad, there must be something in it. 
And I went back to school that September and my principal phoned my parents like, hey, where was this kid institutionalized? What medication is he on? And should we be concerned? And they're like, we don't know what's going on. He found Jesus. Like, we have no answer. So everyone was like a bit shocked as to what was happening. I had a pretty interesting reputation. Well, fast for the clock one year. Uh, it was coming Christmas time, and I wanted to bless my parents. And I was really trying to pray about what I should get them as a gift because things were not great between us. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, give your dad a Bible. And I was like, get thee behind me, Satan. I shall not be tempted. There is no way. I think we have a photo of my dad. Let me just show you my dad for a second, just to give you some context. Uh, my dad is ex-Special Forces, counterterrorism, uh, was deployed, <laughs> PTSD, left the military, ended up joining the 1% bike club. So I was raised in like 1% gangland culture and was a pretty mean dude. So I was like, if I give my dad a Bible, he will beat me to death with it. You know what I'm saying? I'd be dead by Bible bashing, literally. And uh, so I was like, no way. And I had this wrestling going on in my heart of the Christmas, and Christmas came and passed, and if I'm honest, I chickened out. You know, I, just, I just couldn't pluck up the courage to do it. But I just couldn't shake the leading of the Holy Spirit. So I think it was New Year's Eve. I gave my dad a Bible, and I said, Dad, in my nervous little childish voice, Dad, you know, I prayed, and I wanted to give you the best thing I could give you, and I thought about buying you this, 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 but I felt the Holy Spirit say, give him the same thing that, you know, changed your life. So here's the Bible. And I wrote the same verse in the cover that was written in my Bible, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free, John 8, 32. And I have two requests. One, don't burn it. And two, don't make it a beer coaster. Unless it's Guinness, in which case that's perfectly holy. Um, and of course, he was like, uh, thanks, I guess. And that was it. And I was like, man, I'm off the hook. If my dad burns in hell for eternity, I, I'll never be feel responsible because I did my bit. I sowed my seed. And I can remember telling my girlfriend at the time and my wife, I said, my mother can get saved, my brother can get saved, but my dad will never come to Jesus. The things he has said, the things he has done, there is no way that God can do for him what he did, has done for me. Well, fast forward the clock, two months, that was, the, like I said, New Year's Eve, so it's the first week of February. In our little church that I got saved into, uh, I played drums, actually. Come on, where's the drummers at? And, uh, and our, it was in a hotel, so if you will, the front door, the entrance to the hotel was like here, so stage right. And so we had done rehearsal, and I was sitting in the front row, facing where the band was, just reading, getting ready. And the door opens, and in walks my dad. And of course, I do like a double take, and he comes over and he's standing beside me. I'm like, what the heck are you doing here? thinking, has someone died? Am I dead? Someone's going to die because like, you're here. So what's happening? And he's like, I don't know. I was like, are you high? He's like, no, 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 no. He said, something woke me up and told me to come. And here I am. I'm like, this is terrible. God, what have you done to me? I gave my dad a Bible. Now he's in church. We're in his white suburban church. The pastor wears sandals. He bounces during worship. I'm about to sing, shine, Jesus, shine. And there's my dad, tattoos, combats, beard, patches on the front. He's going to end up like, knocking somebody out in church. And it won't be slain in the spirit. It'll be slain by John Corcoran. This is not a good thing. Somehow I'm having a full-on panic attack and... I'm thinking, how can this get any worse? And so I get up and I'm sitting behind the kit and I'm waiting and all of a sudden the door opens and in walks six more bikers. 
I don't know if you know a lot about gangland biker culture, but basically here's a, here's a quick uh, version of how it works. If you enter into someone else's territory wearing your patch without permission, you're in trouble. Usually, you get beaten up and your patches get cut off you. It's, it's quite a serious thing. And I grew up in that, so I knew that's, that's what happened. And so I watched them walking. I don't recognize the patch, so I'm like, oh, no. I look back. My dad's already gone. Out of the front row, making a beeline. I'm thinking, there's gonna, like, Jesus is going to come back to it. It's Armageddon. This is it. The world is about to end. I jump off the kit. This is like church, guys. It's Sunday morning. I run down the back, and I get there just in time to hear them answer the question, who are you guys? And it turns out, believe it or not, there were six American missionaries, actually from around here somewhere, all former vets, who in their retirement said, we want to give something back to God. We want to, we want to leave a different legacy. So they moved to Ireland as missionaries. And they were in a town two and a half hours south of where we were. And they said, this morning at 6 a.m., we were praying, asking the Spirit, where should we go today? And the Holy Spirit said, go to a town called Carlo." and find a church that meets in a hotel, I have an assignment for you. And I'm looking at them, looking at my dad, looking at them going, what is going on? <laughs> and four days later, my, life, my dad surrendered his life to Jesus and became a Jesus follower. <laughs> when God changed his life, he changed his language. And when God changed his language, God gave him the gift of a new legacy. My dad helped found the first Christian-based addiction center in Ireland, one of the first prison ministries in Ireland. Someone wrote a book about him because the story is that crazy. He was invited by the chief chaplain of the American military to come to your Pentagon and address the staff and award the Pentagon's Medal of Excellence. And one year ago, when we were both together speaking in Fargo, North Dakota, we both drove down here and wrote Harry Davidson's to have coffee with Pastor Peter. <laughs> if you met my dad right now, you're thinking, he doesn't seem such a bad guy. He's so soft and so loving and so kind. If we're walking the street, there's a homeless guy, he'll sit down beside them. Tell me your story, bro. How did you get here? He's, he, is, he is the most loving, most kind, most gentle person. But he didn't, he didn't take out the trash by himself. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, our family's transformed. One of my brothers is now one of our location pastors, works and staff at our church. Our family culture, his marriage culture, the culture that he now has with his grandchildren, our whole lives were transformed. Because when God has your heart, he has your world. And so I want to pray for you today as we close. Because that's not just, there's nothing special about him. The, the, the hero in the story is Jesus. And Jesus is here right now. And he wants to work in your heart to change your language, to give you a better legacy. Would you mind standing with me for a second? And could you allow me the privilege of praying for you? Thank you, Father. Come on, right now, let's begin to open our hearts to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we don't have to be good enough because even if we try, we know we can never be. But because of your love and your grace and your mercy and your kindness, O oh Lord, you love us, accept us, you welcome us. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, you change us forever. Thank you for the miracle of salvation. 
And I pray right now, Lord, for those who are far from you who've never experienced that right now in the name of Jesus, that they will begin to open their hearts and just like I did, maybe even half-heartedly call out to you in this place and put their trust in you. And for the rest of us, Lord, who know you and follow you, I just pray that you would do something in us today. That we would leave this, these environments, we would leave these buildings, all locations and campuses, and that we would be different because something has happened in our hearts. And that you would give us power to speak in a life-giving language that would leave a life-giving legacy. We love you, Father, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.